Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Nerd Soup. I am Bo Oliver, joined here today with Aaron, the Nerd Soup Monkey, and we are back to review Succession, Season 4, Episode 8, America Decides, directed by Andrzej Parikh and written by Jesse Armstrong. Most consequential election of our lifetimes. Never heard that before. I was disappointed that they didn't have at least Kornacki. I didn't think they could afford King, but... For you. Well, no, because it's a second-rate touchscreen guy. It was amateur hour there. and we could, They needed one of them. We could debate Kornacki, King, all night long, but none of them are putting up a performance as pitiful as that guy. <laughs> Poor Tom Wozgams. I mean, he is the he was pretty despicable. There's a lot of despicable deeds going on in this episode, and I think maybe he was the most unhinged, so it was funny to see him call Shiv unhinged. Yeah. You know, this guy's coked up. He, he's juggling all these different things. He's a PGN to the left of me and FVA to the right of me. I guess that's their Infowars or uh, Newsmax. It was fun to just see... It was fun, and it was also kind of horrifying to see the way that all these characters were unraveling, because the genius of the writing is that they reel you in with the sympathy when they kill off Logan, and at the end of the day, they are humans, so they're in mourning. They're going to have this human response to losing their parent, even though he was abusive, and you're rooting for them. You want them to work together, to love each other. It really did kind of all come crashing down in this episode, so I found it to be brilliant. You know, it mirrors the season where it starts at a moment of hope and optimism optimism, right? Jimenez is in the lead. It looks like, yeah, the deal might not go through, but at the very least, this asshole Mencken didn't win. But as the episode goes on, the mood changes. It becomes darker and darker till you get that final scary moment where Mencken's delivering the speech and feels like all these characters have sold their souls over to him. Right. And the characters who don't want him to win have lost. <laughs> no, it's something where like, even with Kendall being you know, one of the more fair and open-minded to, like, both sides, it seems, uh, listening to Roman, listening to Shiv, and actually siding with Shiv towards the end. He kind of had, like, this, you know, these two, like, angels and devil <laughs> on his shoulder, but, like, both of them just equally as... <laughs> um, devil and super devil? Yeah. With Roman here, it's like, I don't know, we never haven't really seen this side of Roman before. He was uh, probably the one character this episode that was, like, bothering me and annoying just his you know the way he was willing to just take anything to spin the election his way or get his way at the end Shiv kind of does it in another way the way she tries to manipulate Kendall and that ultimately ends up going against her with Kendall siding with Roman at the end yeah that does blow up in her face because it's a personal betrayal and it's such a good reflection on modern politics where you have to take a character all three of the siblings but Roman not really caring the implications of what he's doing for you know just a, a every a regular person or just a, you know what the election is supposed to represent and doing it for his own personal gain he can care less about what Mankin is about or what he wants to promote or the damage he can do and Shiv on the other hand like last minute having this kind of you know we always knew that she was on the opposing sides but it's kind of hard to take her seriously when she says uh, for the good of the nation and having this kind of doomsday mentality when you know the people you surround yourself with and have for basically your whole life and now we're going to act like you are on the side of holy good when we've seen throughout the seasons and basically your actions throughout that you're not really on that side. It's only when 
push comes to shove and the c- circumstances are dire and it looks like Jimenez might not win that you're having this reaction. Right, yeah. She's fine with being a political moderate when she thinks her side is going to win, but when the other side has the advantage, the entire world is falling apart. So right. <laughs> it's hard to go from, as I said, being so moderate and then flipping on that extreme switch. And with Shiv, she acts like she's fighting for democracy and for the people. And Roman keeps taunting her about that in this episode. But she could have made the decision to actually call Nate and see if there was a way that Jimenez would block the Gojo deal, but she doesn't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. She wants the deal to go through because she thinks Madsen's going to make her CEO, which she's never promised. Yeah, and she's like Roman in that instance when it really comes down to personal and selfish gain. Well, I feel like Kendall, actually, he is trying his best to be like someone who's fair and unbiased and kind of just wants you know, he's balancing, he's actually having an internal struggle. What's good for him and his business versus what's good for the integrity of the country, or even more personally, his children, which we see actually gets to him this episode. Yeah, and I do think that line at the end when he's listening to Mencken deliver that really cold and scary speech, he's using all these buzzwords, it looks like his reaction, he's thinking, what have I done? What? Who have I gotten in bed with? And the first thing that comes to mind is, we could really work with this guy. He's a guy we can do business with. And I think with Roman, it was more embarrassing, because you're seeing him unravel, and it does have to do with his reluctance to face his own grief, to truly process losing his parent, and what that has done to him emotionally. But with Kendall, the implications of making being in there, they're so much more personal because of how it can actually affect his family. You know, it's not this abstract idea of how things are going to get worse. It's already happened to him. So the fact that he doubles down with his support for Mankin is more disappointing than it is with Roman because Roman's more so unraveling. As you said, he's very annoying in this episode. He's really pissing you off. But with Kendall, it's as if his entire life he's been resisting the pull to be more like his father, trying to present himself as a good person, somebody who's morally conscious. And the back and forth throughout this episode eventually results in him selling his soul over to this guy and You think that if Logan Roy was in the same position, I know they argued about it in this episode, he may have done the same thing because he sold his soul to people many, many times throughout his life. And then he had to end wars that he started. I don't know if this is a war that Kendall and Roman can end. Or if it's it's something beyond that, where it's just totally out of control. But again, with Kendall, I think he's the only character who did struggle with what was going on morally uh, throughout the episode. But in the end, it's a personal, selfish decision that leads him to it. He didn't side with Mankin and Roman because he thought it was what's best for the company. He did it because Shiv betrayed him. It doesn't hurt that it's also best for the company. But all things being equal, and if Shiv actually made that attempt and she wasn't working behind the scenes with Matson, I think Kendall sides with Shiv here. His complexities in this episode really were, were genuine here. And again, but it comes to something as petty and selfish as, you know, being hurt by your sister. Right. And even the line when Kendall says, because we ate chicken so much as kids, I have to support the fascists. So it's it's a lot of their childhood trauma influencing their decisions here. It is as simple as your sister betraying you. And what he says to her, he calls her lower than dirt. I wondered why you look like a goose trying to shit a house brick, you piece of dirt. It's as simple as that. Not being up front with Kendall, playing both sides as she's been doing all season, even from the very first episode when they call her out on it, that she's been talking to the Jimenez camp, possibly taking on a job with them. So a lot of things just came into the light this episode. Well, it's funny, a few episodes back, Shiv called out Kendall and Roman for being terrible liars. And once she gets put on the spot here, she... I, 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 I... <laughs> <laughs> she started stuttering just like Kendall did. Kendall's yeah. like, I know that. That's, that's what I do when I'm lying. 
And I've been called out about it. Copied his whole flow bar for bar. <laughs> Kendall's like, don't get mad when I pull a U on you. I, I was wondering too, like, so what was it in uh, Wisconsin, right? The fire burned all the absentee ballots. Um, like, so I know what influence news has and like how they could sway opinion, but like he didn't win, right? Like, if this really happened, there would be, like, a recount or investigations and stuff like that. Well, the the points that they made that they can't trace how many ballots, they can't redo it because yeah. there's so many ballots that don't get sent in. So if you go by how many ballots were sent out versus sent in, I don't know, even based on the own, like, when you go back to the 2000 election, right? They wanted to recount, but the Supreme Court decided that... Uh, it violates voter protection rights. It seems like Mencken's going to win that in court. So like on paper, Mencken won. Right, because if you if yeah. those ballots are officially lost, as Roman says, ballots get lost every election. This just happens to be a larger batch than usual. Then based on the ballots that they have, yeah, Mencken would win. It's one of those arguments that people have where the person you argue, you know you're right. The person arguing just has that one line that can kind of like put it on his side, but you know he's wrong and you're arguing against a fucking brick wall. Right, she's like, yeah. we, know, we know what the ballots were. It's like, no, we don't. <laughs> yeah, that's why Roman no, was... We don't know the ballots. Yeah. <laughs> he was flipping everything yeah. she said. He had a response for everything. And it does mirror the political conversations you have these days, where you can say the sky is blue and the response can be, well, I see it as a shade of green. How are you supposed to argue that, right? It's, it's based on what they see. It's based on how they interpret things. So, you know, like when she says, <laughs> your guys destroyed the ballots. And he was like, it could have been your guys. They love fires. People have been living in their own bubbles in the real world for a long time. So it's based on how you perceive reality. Right. We can no longer agree on, as I said, the sky is blue because people are seeing it in different shades now because of what they're being fed or what fits their argument. Like you said, when you're arguing with someone and their only response is, well, you can't prove that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? You can't prove Shiv is like, oh, based <laughs> yeah. on history, based on those counties. And you see it all the time when real election coverage that they project winners because they know based on the history, this county is going to vote a certain way. So it doesn't make sense to wait. So I guess it's it, not going to be that dramatic of a change. ATN making that decision really like legitimized it as, yeah, this is it for, I guess, the country. I well, the initial decision between Mankin and Roman was call us as the winner, and then eventually it's going to be, eventually it will be revealed that Jimenez is going to be the winner. But at the very least, we have this narrative yeah. that Jimenez stole the election. And what does he say? I won't be the president, but I'll be your president. Right. So listen. It mirrors real life, where you see the power that Donald Trump has over the Republican Party. He may not be the president, but he leads that party. So Mencken, at first, is trying to put himself in the position of opposition leader, cult leader, essentially. But it grows even stronger when you have the actual fire. And we're never going to know who was behind it. So that ambivalence gives Roman the am- ammunition to combat Shiv. It'd be hilarious if it was just some ballot worker smoking a cigarette after a long day and just flicked it into the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah, and then Roman would be like, only leftists smoke cigarettes these days. How, how are you going to go against that? You know, <laughs> foolproof arguments. <laughs> now I'm sitting right here. <laughs> Roman um, was such just a, a little worm, a little rat. He's always had, you know, funny quips and funny comebacks, but this episode, it just, it rubs you the wrong way. It does benefit him having Mencken in there because they want to tank this deal and keep the company. It was the way that he embraced those politics and he embraces those talking points that rubs you the wrong way. he always has a little bit. Um, oh yeah, from season one. He's always been the one to, you know, make those uh, off-color jokes, right. get a rise out of people, wind people up. But with this episode, the implications are so are so massive and he's just reveling in it i wish we would have gotten a look into maybe a pierce 
coverage of the election, or maybe more into uh, Jimenez's decision making. Because after the initial beginning of the episode, we kind of only they kind of shut that aspect out. You only hear stuff through phone calls and just through messages. You kind of get that look into their campaign headquarters, and then it kind of focuses more on um, Mencken's side. Uh, I don't know, just the contrast. I think that would have been kind of cool. Even though that really isn't the focus, it's just a backdrop for their family dynamics. So I, I guess that makes sense. But just like from my own perspective and in this fictional world being caught up in who's going to be president <laughs> in a show that's going to end in two episodes. Yeah. And I think it, it does speak to how closed in they are, where they're not worried about what the outside sources are saying, what other news organizations are saying. Tom's really only worried about what the, you know, the, the ratings, far right yeah. news organizations are saying that they can't get ahead of this. We're going to be basically men without a country. So if we don't plant our flag with Mencken, we're going to be lost. So I think it does, as I said, they're so boxed in. The episode is called America Decides, but we're seeing here it's very the much Roy's. just the Roy's. Yeah, yeah, it's a small group of people as it's always been. But I also think it speaks to the limitations of power because, yeah, you're a billionaire and you run these news organizations, but look at a character like Shiv. She couldn't have her cake and eat it too because if she would have tried to make that deal with him and as to kill the deal, she could have, quote unquote, saved democracy. But she's reluctant to do it because maybe she doesn't become CEO of Waystar. So those are the limitations of her own power, where she refuses to even wield it because it's not going to get her everything she wants. So, and with Kendall and Roman as well, we'll see how this comes back to bite them, but they've made their bed and now they have to lie in it for only two more episodes. So you're wondering how strong is that backlash going to be? Or do they? is this the brave new world that they've created? Well, and even that's how the uh, season ends on a very pessimistic tone. I was getting like, like what Roman says. Let's just take our faces and yeah. let's just jam our fucking heads in the bosom of history and just blah, 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 blah. right. I mean, I was getting like secondhand anxiety from like Greg and perspective. The like they kept going onto the floor, which you're not supposed to do. But every time they did, it was for something like Romans giving um, Raven. No, it's Harry Potter. Ravenhead. Ravenhead. <laughs> the talking points and letting him basically go on a unhinged monologue in the middle of the election uh, coverage. Um, even Kendall's like kind of off put by some of that stuff and just seeing the, how willing they were to like go behind each other's backs, but in such plain sight. <laughs> and it was like in real time, just moving as fast as you can to try to get your way. Snowballing out of control to the point where, you know, elect a president, basically being kingmakers at this point. When, it, when history shows Mankin being president, it'll be the one Greg delivering the news. Charger Banks, like when he gave Palpatine the emergency powers, <laughs> he really is the Charger. Well, it was so funny in the episode, uh, in the middle of the episode, when Darwin, played by Adam Godley, who I love when he pops up in things, he mm. was um the uh, w- what's his name in Breaking Bad, dude who fucks over Walt, yeah, Elliot. <laughs> I love when he shows up in things, uh, you know classic character actor where you don't know his name but you recognize the face but when he accidentally gets the wasabi in his eyes <laughs> and Greg's trying to wash it out with the lemon it's just a tinge of lemon the LaCroix so it's not some even nice that lemony. it's not even that lemony yeah <laughs> He was like a substitute teacher trying to control a bunch of unruly kids, the only adult in the room. He's the only one trying to see things for what they are, and he gets the wasabi in his eyes, and he can't fucking see anything. <laughs> He's getting blindsided by the Roys, and then he gets blindsided by his sushi. So, nice moment of levity there in the middle of an episode that progressively gets darker and darker until that finish. So, <laughs> Greg's <laughs> interesting. Because sometimes I don't know what, like, 
the way Tom is treating Greg, it's very much their relationship. But um, I feel like the way it was framed this episode might be like something we point back to, uh, whether it be next episode or the finale, where we're like, oh, that's kind of Greg's breaking point because you could see he was getting frustrated that he's still being treated like someone less than Tom, where he feels like he's to the point now where he's almost an equal and doesn't deserve to be treated like this anymore. And it could just be something that it's just funny in the moment, and this is just what Tom and Greg have always been, or it could be a breaking point for Greg. That conversation he has with Shiv, which was very uncomfortable, um, I'm like, where is this going? <laughs> but uh, her kind of not even le- like attempting to make a deal with Greg, just saying, you don't say anything or I will fucking kill you. <laughs> you know, not even, uh, you know, keep quiet and I can help you out and we can do this. Just no deal on the table. And Greg decides to side with Kendall and basically tell him that she's been working with Madsen. Greg is the reason why Mankin's president. Yeah, I hope he does get burned been playing with fire for the last four seasons now and we commented on it the last episode he should have just taken that deal from his grandfather some of these characters have to face the consequences of their actions and with greg i think he's the perfect victim he knows who he's surrounding himself with so if he ends up getting the short end of the stick i think it would be poetic where he comes as someone with a minimal amount of power does build himself up where he sees himself as an equal to somebody like Tom. He's flirting with Matson, going out to dinner, dancing with old men. <laughs> but then he realizes, no, I, I'm still a pawn in this game and I can be taken off of the board. No, it is representative of everything that's going on and what they're trying to show here that someone like Greg being caught up in it, who gets burnt the most while everybody else seems to get off scot-free. It would really, I guess, help paint that picture of <laughs> money and influence and power being basically a get-out-of-jail-free card in a lot of ways. Right, yeah, and that's not going to be the case for everyone. I do love when Logan's personality manifests in the kids. You saw it there with Shiv not even making a deal with Greg, as you said, just saying, I'll straight up kill you. And the way that he was manipulating, and the way that she was manipulating him with the, do you find me attractive? It was very uncomfortable because yeah. you're thinking, where the fuck is this going? It took me like three seconds. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're cousins. Okay. But that is something straight up Logan would say. You think I'm cute, Greg? Yeah. Totally Logan Roy. And then with Kendall, it came out as well when Tom accuses Shiv of sounding unhinged. And he says, hey, Tom, you fucking watch it. What? You sound a little unhinged. You fucking watch it, Tom. So he's always had a soft spot for his siblings. I, I love when he does that. Like, even when he stands up to Logan, uh, he was always so scared and skittish around him. But when Logan hits his kid, that's when he actually snaps back at him. And even when he hits, hits Roman, right. you know? So yeah. he's always had that big brother instinct, even though it doesn't always manifest in times when you're kind of like, yes, take a stand. But moments where you don't really have time to think and just react, it comes out. That was maybe the one time I was truly intimidated by Kendall because it was just so raw. He just was came a, right out of him. He was such a nerd earlier in the episode when he's talking to Jimenez. Jimenez wanted absolutely nothing to do with him. No. I thought he was going to big time him when Nate's like, yeah, I'll check. And he's going to do one of the hold for like 10 seconds and be like, ah, oh, no, nah, he's busy, man. <laughs> Things didn't go so well with Connor. It's really <sighs> pulling for him, man. I thought he was going to get Kentucky. His reaction to losing, though, was... Hilarious. I wonder what his number. It was probably like 4% too. <laughs> I'm going to give him 7. His speech was so fucking funny when he Round like up to 10. concedes, but then at the end he's like, well, you know, you fucked up America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny, dude. Started dying when Frank was like, Connor's running for president. <laughs> yeah. Frank can be funny when he wants to. <laughs> what did, uh, and also like Willa just again and again, just she's the best. So Ride or die. Yeah. But his uh, response when she says, fuck Kentucky, he's like, no, I shan't become Alas, that. Alas, Kentucky. Alas, Kentucky. 
Um, that motherfucker really thinks he's George Washington, man. I, I shan't become that, no. I always forget his name, Little Nick. God damn it. Um, Hugo. Yeah. What did he say? I was fucking dying. What was he doing? Oh, when he was uh, chiding Jimenez, his speech. Yeah, when he's like, he was like pull, pull a ball out. <laughs> Flop your dick out. Pop a nut. Do something. It, it's so, so funny. funny. These people just want political theater. Yeah. You know, all the self-righteousness, it pisses them off so much more than Mencken's extremism. Where they watch that speech from Jimenez, and they yawn. And they watch Mencken's speech, and they're totally fine with it. <laughs> no notes. I mean, it's clearly mirroring 2016 election and the 2020, and that's why it does feel so real. I think if this <laughs> happened to air in 2008, we'd be like, whoa, our politics aren't this dysfunctional. It gets nasty, but not like this. But now it's become harder and harder for these shows to parody and uh, to create political satires because of how ridiculous things have gotten. And it did feel like a glimpse into the future, as I said, where Mencken, uh, the actor who plays him, even said he's far right, but he sees himself as an intellectual. He's a good speaker. He's not as blunt. So it did look like a, a sort of prognosis of where this country could possibly be heading. And that's what makes it so scary, where it feels like something that could actually happen. Simultaneously, it feels like a warning. Yeah, especially like in real elections. I remember the last two where like you go in thinking one way, but slowly but surely like things happen and like kind of like some twists and turns happen. And you're like, oh, wait, no, this person might actually win. Like you don't really know until you know. It's kind of what Connor was, <laughs> was holding out right. for. Maybe everyone voted for me. We don't know. Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, that uncertainty weighs yeah. over this entire episode. But in like 2016, there was a moment where like going into it, you felt one way, but then slowly but surely you realize, oh, it's not going that way. And even in 2020, I felt like there was a time there where like, oh, maybe this, it's not really going the way all the projections were headed. So it is kind of like that uncertainty and you see how just momentum, they said he only really joined the race six months ago. Just how you can quickly just build momentum and influence and kind of go from there. Yeah, it's a perfect way to bring together all the the familial drama, the unresolved issues of the Roy family, bringing it back to where they made their name and that's on news right mm -hmm. it started with atn that's where logan put most of his attention most of his pride so it's those two things coming together in the worst possible way where all these unresolved issues are influencing their decisions that hold massive weight on the future of the country so even though it, it's not a finale it sort of feels that way. Right. Where we always knew these characters were despicable, and we say it all the time, the genius of the show is that they keep you watching and they keep your attention even though there's truly nobody to root for. But it does feel like the walls have completely come down in this final episode where there is no turning back. This is the future that they've that they envision for themselves and the future that they can't escape. And I think when you strip down their dynamic to the bare bones in this episode between the three of them, you have Shiv as the moralizer trying to push them in one direction, wanting to focus on the bigger picture, how this impacts everybody. And Roman is pure instinct, flailing his arms, running around the newsroom like a little kid, knows exactly what he wants in these moments. There's absolutely, you know, I always talk about Kendall's identity crisis. Roman knows who he is. He knows what he wants. He's baby Hitler 
There's no second guessing any decision he's making in this episode. And of course, Kendall is the one trying to hold the two viewpoints together. So it manifests to a certain extent as the id, ego, and superego between the three of them. But of course, it's Shiv who feels like the biggest loser out of the three. We'll see how this ends up going for Kendall and Roman, but it, it makes you think that Shiv could play that card that she has up her sleeve. You know, what happened with... Kendall and the waiter. But it's like, going into this episode, I was just more interested. I don't know if I had a sigh, like, oh, I want Shiv to win. I want Kendall. I want Roman. You kind of just wanted to see how it all played out. But now that Shiv's aligned herself with Madsen, it puts a lot of viewers in a strange place where seeing what Roman and Kendall did at the end of this episode, but also like, do I want to root for fucking Madsen? Now that Shiv's tied her wagon to him, it really is blurry now. Because if it is going to be Shiv and Madsen versus Roman and Kendall, I wonder what side a lot of people are going to take. Right, yeah, and I think the absence of Logan is so genius because for a long time, even though the kids were despicable, he was, <laughs> he was the worst of the bunch. So it's like two monsters fighting, or three monsters teaming up to fight the biggest monster. And that is But so now that big monster's gone, and the three monsters are still stomping around the city. And it's so perfect, because I think a lesser show, if this was the way they were going to go, would have made Madsen this, like, I don't know, easy to root for, likable, you know, especially if someone played by Alexander Skarsgård, easy to like, easy to be like, okay, I, I like this guy. And then you have Shiv aligned with him, and it's a clear, like, okay, now Kendall and Roman are the bad guys, and... Let's go Shiv and Madsen. But Madsen is just despicable as the rest of them. They kind of were just like, all right, let's break off these three despicable kids and have one of the kids align with an equally despicable outsider. Have fun. Pick pick who you want. <laughs> who do you want to win going forward? We need to get ready to be cozy with this fucking Mr. Scary. And it's a, it's a brilliant reflection of reality because they've managed to characterize these characters in such a human way. Uh, I saw somebody on Twitter say that you're not sympathetic towards them, or even Brian Cox has said this in an in in an interview. You're not sympathetic towards the family, but you are empathetic. And I think that they've managed to balance that pretty well, where it is a true reflection, but you still have not necessarily characters to root for, but yeah. you're interested in how this is all going to play out because you're able to meet these characters on a human level. You may not agree with what they do or what they say, or you're watching a character like Kendall, his indecisiveness, essentially lose the last few ounces of humanity that he has left. So if you're rooting for anything in this show, you're rooting for these characters to win their battles against themselves. And with Kendall, I think we could peg him as a loser. And time and time again, Jeremy Strong has added those layers of humanity to his portrayal that leaves you disappointed and a, a bit heartbroken over his failures. Very human portrayal of somebody in this position. Yeah, I wonder if they go the route, and again, only two episodes left, where Roman just becomes completely unhinged and really takes this position and runs with it. And then you just have two sides where, like, Madsen and Roman are kind of running out of control and Kendall and Shiv are just caught in, in this mess. And you kind of... Because I do think, at the end of the day, as much as, like you said, all three children garner sympathy, I think Kendall, number one, uh, just because of what we've seen and all the shit we've seen him go through and I think Shiv as well I think have been the easiest characters for a lot of people to latch onto a, a, a scenario where they're kind of just getting thrusted around in this kind of pissing match between Roman and Madsen where they just keep going one step too far with each other and they're kind of have no choice but to go along with it yeah I, I think that um, it is a possibility that Shiv leaks that information about Kendall and the waiter because that could be the final card to play. 
And I do wonder if Kendall is going to be more on Roman's side in these final two episodes, because you you see it, he had every chance to, I guess, do the quote-unquote right thing, and he doesn't. And we probably should have anticipated that more, because even a, you know, a moment like the phone call with Rava, when she realizes that he's having them tailed, that speaks to his intentions and his ambitions that, yeah, he's always wanted to paint himself as a good guy. And that's what Shiv tells him, right? In this episode to try and manipulate him. He's not, just based on his actions. So even though he's maybe a bit more self-aware than the other three children, at the end of the day, he decides, I'm going to be Logan Jr., similar to Roman. I do think it's going to get nasty for... I don't know. Who do you think that is going to end the, uh, who's going to end the series with their head in their palms, totally depressed, (laughs) overlooking the city, realizing nothing's going to change and I've lost everything because of it. I mean, it's been Kendall. They've been building him up, right? To be that. Well, it always has been too. Like he's had numerous moments throughout the series. Um, yeah, I can see him just being stuck in like in this loop where nothing he can do will ever be good enough for him to get out of it. I feel like it's either none of them win or they all win somehow. I don't know. Yeah, we talked about this, I I think, during episode three and episode four. With Logan no longer in the picture, it's not only about them not having somebody to go against, having an antagonist for the three of them to team up and take down. But without his presence there, how are things going to unravel? Because he has spoiled them, and he talked about that a lot. And in spoiling them, he failed to prepare them for his absence. So they can't even, you know, for Roman, he's been completely unable to process it. You know, they thought Dad was going to live forever. So they didn't prepare for the reality of not having him there. And you're seeing it the way that it's played out, where they start making all these promises to each other that we're not going to go behind each other's backs and we're going to swear on the day that Dad died. But by episode eight, Kendall's even being open about it with Shiv, saying, yeah, I have aspirations to be the guy. And Shiv's like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm, I've been going behind your back for the last few episodes now. So, <laughs> no, so it's, it's just kind of, it's not sad to see, but it, it's we should have seen it coming. The word I keep going back to is kind of embarrassing. And even Tom, coming off of the last episode when Shiv calls him out for what he really is, Yes, he loves Shiv, but he also loves the idea of having power. And the other thing that he wanted was a life with Shiv, the idea of having children with her and starting a family. And in this episode 8, he gets both of those things, where it's the most pressure he's ever been under, where he has to balance all these different narratives, and he's got all these mouths to feed, and it overwhelms him. He's collapsing under the pressure, and then when he gets told that Shiv is pregnant, his response is quite possibly the worst response he could have had to that piece of information. And then when he has those moments alone to contemplate what he just said and the reality of Shiv being pregnant, it sort of breaks him. So even though there's a lot of sincerity with the character of Tom and the way that they write him, so that's why I think that he's naturally become one of my favorites, if not my favorite character in the show. But I, I also delighted in seeing him struggle and seeing him sweat and seeing him having to face that pressure of everything that he's ever wanted and failing spectacularly. <laughs> a perfectly comfortable path. He's got good arches. They've been remarked upon. So, uh, you know, with Tom, I think he's, well, with plenty of these characters in this show, he's left with the question of, was it all worth it? And uh, I guess we have two more episodes to find out what he's thinking. But once again, it's a lack of honesty in these characters' lives that always comes back to bite them worst possible time to tell Tom that you're pregnant because it does feel like you're trying to manipulate him into 
uh, apologizing. And it's the same thing Tom did when he proposed. You know, it's this endless back and forth of saying the wrong things at the wrong time. No, it's, it's, and it goes even later in the episode when we talked about Kendall, like actually opening up and having like that therapy session with his sister, only for her to immediately use it against him and try to manipulate him. <laughs> like, it's just so fucked up. <laughs> but like, that was actually a moment of honesty from Kendall when he says, like, yeah, I have these thoughts when I'm alone about it being me. And, you know, it wasn't a, a way to, it wasn't like a play or anything. It was just him being honest, something that he rarely is able to do, and just immediately. And uh, it does make you wonder, you know, Shiv saying that Logan wouldn't have gone for this because at the very least he liked stability. Maybe he would have done the same thing, but it would have been so much cleaner. There wouldn't have been all this running around, all this indecisiveness. I think he would have just been like, made his decision and that's it. It is sort of a golden opportunity to run with that narrative to steal an election when you had the incident in Milwaukee. So maybe Logan would say, yeah, there's a cleaner way to do this rather than being so indecisive and so back and forth. And Or he would have just stayed calm and been like, I don't know, Tom, do what you think is best. <laughs> like in a way that's like tells you what to do. Right. But he would just keep his hands clean of it. Well, that, that was so funny too, dude, when at first Tom's saying, it's not your call to make, it's my call. But you don't, you don't make the call. I make the call. And then when the kids decide that they're going to side with Megan, they go, Tom, what do you think? Tom goes, it's not my call, it's your call. You're making a terrible mistake. Please don't. Hey guys, it's not my call. So he flipped that right away. Yeah. Tom thinks that just because he thinks that, you know, he says something that the rest of the world is going to believe that as well. Like, it's not my call, but you're the head of ATN, so of course they're going to put you on the news and blame me. <laughs> He's such a dumbass, man. It is so funny to watch these characters try and make the world as they see it. Yeah, and the next episode, episode 9, is called Church and State, so the titles have been very meaningful as well, so we'll see how that all plays out, and I'm really looking forward to it. Only two episodes left, we'll see if they can put the crown in this show as one of the best of all time. It looks like they're heading in that direction because early in the season we got a masterpiece for episode 3, and I feel like a lot of people feel the same way about episode 8, where it's essentially perfect, a perfect culmination of the story and also these character arcs coming together in such a, a harrowing way. At least, in, at least next week will be a little bit calmer. Funeral, you know. Everyone should be respectful of the situation and act accordingly. There's no way you're going to get all these people in the room at a funeral and they're going to act out of pocket. No, you imagine that they'll be able to keep it together. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. quick tight 90 is what they say. Tight 90, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, man, that episode's going to be fucking amazing. <laughs> Wow, that was probably our best review yet. Hey guys, Aaron the Nerd Soup Monkey here with a brief shameless plug before we end the video. Do you ever feel like you don't have an adequate amount of nerd soup in your life? Like you're going to bed hungry and yearning for the nonsensical yet entertaining nutrients our podcasts provide? Well, we've come up with the perfect solution. The Nerd Soup Fan Question Podcast, exclusively available to our Patreon supporters. You can sign up now by visiting patreon.com slash nerdsoup, and for the price of only $1 per month, you'll receive exclusive access to our weekly podcast, where we answer your questions that don't make it to the main show. And while you're there, you can check out the other rewards we offer to our patrons, like stick stickers, mugs, t-shirts, behind-the-scenes footage, and appearing in the credits at the end of our videos. And that's exactly what we're gonna do right now. Roll the names of the nerds who make Nerd Soup possible. The reason why the crypto crash didn't send our lives spiraling down a black hole of no return. Alright, I'll stop talking so you can listen to this jazzy-ass music while checking if Bo spelt your name wrong in the credits. <laughs>